Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. This morning we're in James chapter 3. We're continuing our series in the book of James, Genuine Faith. I really enjoy the book of James. Uh, He was the Lord's brother. He came to faith in Christ after the resurrection. And he wrote this uh, letter in the New Testament for us. Um, Today we're going to talk about how to walk in wisdom. And wisdom is a major theme of the book of James. You know, in May 2012, that sounds like a long time ago, right? Over a decade ago, in May of 2012, a 32 carat Burmese ruby diamond ring, part of a collection owned by the richest woman in the world, was sold at an auction. Prior to the auction, they thought that it would estimate at three to five million dollars for this ring. When it was all said and done, the final price that it sold for was $6.7 million. Can you imagine that for a 32-carat Burmese ruby diamond ring? Now, it's believed to be the most expensive ruby ever sold. Why am I telling you this? Because as valuable as rubies are and diamonds are, wisdom is much more valuable. Matter of fact, in Proverbs 16, verse 16, it says, Get wisdom, how much better it is than gold, and get understanding, it is preferable to silver. In Proverbs 3, 13 through 15, Happy is a man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding, for she, she's referring to wisdom, is more profitable than silver, and her revenue is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can equal her. And so wisdom is a precious thing. Wisdom is more valuable than silver or gold or expensive jewelry. And it's something that we need to acquire. It's only going to benefit us. It's going to help us. It goes on to say in Proverbs 3, 21 through 26, it says, maintain sound wisdom and discretion, my son. Don't lose sight of them. They will be life for you and adornment for your neck. Then you will go safely on your way. Your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. You will lie down and your sleep will be pleasant. Don't fear sudden danger or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from a snare. And so wisdom will protect you, okay? Wisdom will protect you. I know history tells us that St. Patrick of Ireland uh, is a great example of of what I just read there in Proverbs 3, 21 through uh, 26. He's known for spreading the uh, gospel to all the people in Ireland back in his day. In his day, Ireland was very divided. There were small clans that often went to war with each other. And after spending all day fighting, many of them were afraid of their lives. They were afraid to lay their head down at night. Uh, Many Irishmen wouldn't even go to sleep until they uh, drunk themselves till they passed out and then they went to sleep. But they noticed something different about St. Patrick. Um, He slept sweetly and soundly even though he confronted people that hated him and they realized he lived life without fear. That's the benefit. That's the blessing of wisdom. Okay? And you and I need wisdom. Now the question is, how do I get wisdom? Where do I find it? 
Let me put it in 2023 terms. You can't Google it. All right? You can't Google it. Wisdom is more than just information. It's more than just uh, knowledge. Uh, Wisdom is the skillful application of God's truth to everyday life. That's wisdom. And you can't Google that. So where do you go uh, for wisdom? You don't go to Google. You go to God. We've already read in James so far, chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. So if you and I don't have wisdom, and if you and I need wisdom, what do we do? We go to God. And if we ask him, he will graciously and generously give it to all that ask him. And that's, an, that's a promise from God's Word, and so that's pretty awesome. Now, I want to say we're in James 3 this morning, verses 13 through 18. So it's a short passage, which means a short sermon? Maybe. We'll see. Maybe I need three boxes up here. Short sermon, long sermon. Okay, I'm just messing with you. But anyway, James 3.13 says, Who among you? is wise and understanding. By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. Now we'll stop there for a minute. Who among you is wise? Who among you has understanding? How how do we know that someone has wisdom? How do we know that someone has understanding? You observe their life. You observe their conduct and you observe their character. It says, by his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. Let me bold this down or break this down for you. The true test of wisdom is works, not words. Okay? Curtis Vaughn said that. The true test of wisdom is works, not words. Okay? And so that's how you recognize it. So how do you and I walk in wisdom? That's what I really want to focus on this morning as we look at the Scriptures. How do you and I walk in wisdom? Number one, recognize the difference between true wisdom and false wisdom. Now, I'll explain this in a minute, but let's read uh, James 3, uh, 13 through 16. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. The first thing we got to do if we're going to walk in wisdom is we got to know the difference between true wisdom and false wisdom. True wisdom is what I would say God's wisdom. God is true. Let every man be a liar. Um, God is true. He's always right. He's righteous. He's altogether perfect and holy and just. And true wisdom comes from God. He is the source of true wisdom. And false wisdom is everything else. You can call it worldly wisdom. You can call it man's wisdom. You can call it earthly wisdom. All of those things would be accurate. Matter of fact, he says that that such wisdom in verse uh, 15 does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and then it says demonic. 
Now, it's one thing to say earthly. We think natural. Uh, unspiritual, you could still think natural. But demonic, that's more than natural, right? So, so there is a difference here between true wisdom and false wisdom. True wisdom has the right actions, good conduct, and it has the right attitude, gentleness that comes from wisdom. Whereas false wisdom is very selfish. It has bitter envy, selfish ambition. That's mentioned in verse 14. And those, so, those two same qualities are mentioned again in verse 16. Uh, envy and selfish ambition. And what do they lead to? Uh, boasting, denying the truth, disorder, and every type of evil practice. You know, as I was trying to look for biblical examples uh, of this to kind of illustrate the difference, uh, one of the things that uh, stood out to me as I was studying this passage in different uh, translations is there in uh, James 3.13. How do you recognize somebody that's wise? By their good conduct. They showed that the works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. Uh, A better better rendering of that would, would be meekness instead of gentleness. But see, here's the thing. Our English word doesn't know how to translate very well this idea of meekness. Whether you call it meekness or whether you call it gentleness, a lot of people think it is weakness, okay? And that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, If I were to give you an image of what does meekness look like, it looks like a, a horse that has been tamed and trained. It is strength under control. It is, it is power that, that is restrained and used correctly and properly. And so meekness is not weakness. And that led me to an example of when Moses was criticized by Aaron and Miriam. The passage is in Numbers, uh, Numbers chapter 12, verse 1 through 4. And this is a good example because it shows you Moses, which is a picture of meekness, okay, who has wisdom, and then his siblings... Uh, Aaron and Miriam, who are operating with a different kind of wisdom. Look in Numbers 12, 1 through 4. Miriam and Aaron, that was the sister and brother of Moses, criticized Moses because of the Cushite woman he married, for he had married a Cushite woman. They said, does the Lord speak only through Moses? Does he not also speak through us? And the Lord heard it. The most important words in this passage are, and the Lord heard it. Moses was a very humble man. The King James word there instead of humble was actually meekness. And uh, that's the, the same word we're talking about. But he was a very humble man, a meek man, more so than anyone on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, you three come out to the tent of meeting. And so the three of them went out. And so here is Moses being criticized, and he is meek. He's humble. He's gentle. He has power, but it's strength under control. And his own siblings are criticizing him, and the Lord hears it. The Lord knows about it. And you've got two different operating systems, to put it in our vernacular today, if you if you like Mac or if you like a PC, you've got different operating systems on computers. And here is one operating system. I would call it God's wisdom, true wisdom. And then here's another operating system, which is false wisdom, worldly wisdom. 
And so, you know, worldly wisdom would say, all right, Moses, are you the only one that speaks for God? We're your siblings. We've been here with you. We do this, we do that. And uh, Moses, he didn't respond. He's being criticized and he didn't respond. He, he allowed God to vindicate him. And that's the difference between true wisdom and false wisdom. You can see it in conduct. You can see it in character. But let's go on. How do we walk in wisdom? We recognize the difference between true wisdom and false wisdom. And a second thing is we understand that God's wisdom is rooted in God's ways. I love this. God's Understand that God's wisdom is rooted in God's ways. See, wisdom is more than knowledge and information. It's the skillful application of God's truth to everyday life. And when you, when you obey God's word in everyday life, it affects who you are. It affects how you think. It affects how you live. It changes your character, and that in turn changes your conduct. Character is an inside job. Conduct is an outside job, okay? But they go together. And here, I want you to see that if we're going to walk in wisdom, we recognize the difference between true and false wisdom. That's the easy part. But then we've got to understand God's wisdom is rooted in God's ways. And I think sometimes it's hard for us to understand. There in verse 17, James 3, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. Um, I still like um, the Christian Standard Bible as far as preaching and teaching, but I also think it's good when you're doing a deep dive study on certain things to look at different translations, to look at original languages, and to factor all that in to get as much clarity and understanding and insight as you can. And so I had remembered this week an old outline that Rick Warren used years ago when he was doing a training on, uh, on communicating God's Word with clarity. And he used an outline that I'm going to briefly share with you that's based on this one verse in James 3, 17. He says it this way, If I'm wise, I will not compromise my integrity. Because first of all, the wisdom that is above is pure. If you live a pure and holy life, then you're not going to compromise your integrity. You're going to be the same here and there, everywhere, every day. And so you don't, if you're wise, you're not going to compromise your integrity. That's what pure looks like. Then he says, if I'm wise... I will not antagonize your anger. He says, peace-loving. People that love peace, they don't like to pick a fight. They want to make peace. Now, there's some really good literature out on that. Um, there's peacemaking and there's peace-faking, okay? Peace-faking is saying everything's all right when it's not, but peacemaking is doing the hard work of making peace. And so peace-loving is someone that wants to be at peace with God and be at peace with others. Then he says, if I'm wise, I will not minimize your feelings. And that is the part about being gentle. When you are gentle, or another way to put it, when you are meek, you, um, you have strength under control, and so you consider the other person. If I'm wise, I will not criticize your suggestions. 
Uh, this one is translated different things. Uh, since, uh, Christian standard says compliant. Compliance is such a, an odd word to use here. Uh, some call it submissive. Uh, some call it literally open to reason. Okay? Um, I think open to reason is probably the best uh, rendering here of this word. Um, it means that if you're wise, you're going to be, uh, you're going to give, you're going to give a fair hearing. You're going to listen to all the facts. Uh, the next part, if I'm wise, I will not emphasize your mistakes. It says that wisdom is full of mercy and good fruit. And then it goes on to say unwavering and without pretense, or maybe a better way of saying unwavering without pretense is impartial and sincere. If I'm wise, I will not disguise my own weaknesses. Now, I share this quickly and briefly because I remember the first time I heard this years ago, like 15 years ago, and I was so excited. I was like, man, this is a great outline. I need to do more of this, and I shared it with a, a very godly man in the congregation where I served at the time, and he goes, you know, that's a really cute outline, Corey. It's really good, but have you looked at this word in Scripture? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And he helped me understand that wisdom is pure. It is peace-loving. It is gentle and meek, but at the same time, when, when you and wisdom are trying to confront someone over a problem, um, you, you don't give uh, mercy and good fruit unless there's repentance. Uh, the best way to understand all of these is say, how does this show us who God is? Okay, and that's where I'm going. Is God pure? Absolutely, God is pure. Is God peace-loving? Yes, He is. God so loved the world that He what? He sent His Son, right? So that we could have peace with God through the blood of Jesus on the cross. Yes, God is peace-loving. Is God gentle? Yes, he remembers me that we uh, are dust and that we're just a breath away from being completely, you know, destroyed. Uh, so he is certainly gentle with us because he's God and we're not. Um, is God compliant? Well, I don't like that word because we have our own understanding of someone being compliant. But does God, is he open to hearing all the facts? Yes but he already knows all the facts. And then, of course, is God full of mercy and good fruit? Well, he absolutely is, but he's merciful to those who repent. He's not merciful to those that refuse to repent. You see the difference? And then, of course, is God um, unwavering, or a better word would be impartial? Yes, he shows no favorites. James talked about that in chapter 2, no favoritism with God. He's impartial. And then, of course, without pretense or without hypocrisy. God is consistent. He is who He is. There's no duplicity in Him. So all of these qualities of wisdom really point us to the one who gives us wisdom, which is God Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what's awesome. Let me give you a, a more practical illustration of what I'm trying to talk about. Turn, if you will, to 2 Corinthians 10. And again, this is where that word meekness comes up again. And even the word gentleness comes up again. And yet it comes up in such a way that it might surprise you. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul is talking about the church in Corinth. And there's a lot of conflict going on in the church of Corinth. He's had to call people out for their sin. And he's had to deal with uh, division in the church. And 
yet he's talking about being meek and gentle. And you look at that and go, how does that work? So in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 1, Now I, Paul, myself, he says, appeal to you by the meekness, that's the same word that is there in James 3.13 where it says that we show our wisdom through our works that are done and the gentleness that comes from wisdom. It's, it's, it's the same Greek word. I appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am humble among you in person, but bold toward you when absent. I beg you that when I'm present, I will not need to be bold with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people who think we're behaving according to the flesh. Now stop there, make sure you get this right. Paul wrote two letters to the Corinthian church. We have them in the Bible. They're known as 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. We believe he wrote at least one or two more that aren't preserved in the Bible. But at any rate, what I'm trying to say is Paul planted a church in Corinth. He saw people saved and a church was planted. And because of the culture of Corinth, Corinth was like Las Vegas of its day. Uh, it was a sinful, wicked city known for all kinds of vices, not virtues. And so these people were in a pagan culture. They knew Jesus Christ and they came into the church, and yet these people still had all kinds of problems. And Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians. And there were people that were saying, Paul in person, I like. He's nice. He's harmless. But Paul, when he writes, he talks really big, bad, and bold. And uh, they were making a big deal out of how Paul was in person versus how he wrote when he wasn't there. And he says, I beg you that when I am present, I won't have to be bold with confidence when I challenge certain people who think we're behaving according to the flesh. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And we are ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience is complete. We're not used to hearing stuff like that, are we? And that's straight scripture, Paul to the church in Corinth. And he's saying when we deal with a problem, we look at it from a spiritual perspective. We realize that if we're all in the flesh, then it's just going to be a big hot mess. We're all going to be in the flesh. But the weapons that God has given us to deal with problems and conflict, it involves spiritual battle. It involves spiritual warfare. It involves a spiritual mindset. And so we make sure we're not in the flesh. We make sure that we're using God's weapons the right way and we demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments. We confront pride and we take captive every thought for the obedience of Christ. And then when we all do that, when we come together, we can deal with issues. And that's exactly what he's saying there in 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 6. And so that's an example of how we are to understand that God's wisdom is rooted in God's ways. Now, how do we walk in wisdom? We have to recognize the difference between true and false wisdom. We have to understand that, that God's wisdom is rooted in His ways, okay? And that's what we all have to learn. 
And then the third thing is notice how God works when we trust Him for wisdom. Okay, When we do things His way, when we trust Him to work, then God does things that only He can do. Look, if you will, in James 3.18. And it says, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. I love what Warren Wiersbe said about this because he makes a, a very astute observation. He says, there's a vast difference between man-made results and God-given fruit, okay? He says, fruit is the product of life and fruit has in it the seeds for more fruit. And he says, usually it's the seed that is sown. But here in this verse, it's the fruit that is sown. I thought that was interesting, right? The way God's wisdom works, it's pure, it's peace-loving, it's gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruit. It's unwavering, it's without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness, it, it produces righteousness, is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. The fruit is sown because the seeds have grown and produced fruit and the, the fruit is sown, and that's quite interesting to me. To give you another biblical example of that, I would point to Abraham and Lot. You remember Abraham and Lot? You can look them up in the book of Genesis. Abraham had a nephew named Lot, so Uncle Abraham and nephew Lot. And um, Lot, Lot didn't have a mom or dad. Abraham took care of him, and wherever Abraham and Sarah went, Lot was with them. When Abraham answered the call to, of God, go to a land that I will show you, he and Sarah went, and Lot went with them. That was it. When they got to the promised land, there was a famine in the land. And uh, one of the few times that we don't see Abraham praying, Abraham decided to go where you know, things were much better than a famine in the land. He went down to Egypt. And when you read the story of Lot, you will know that once they went down to Egypt, Lot saw the glitz and glamour of the world, and his life took a different trajectory after that. After the Lord brought Abraham, Sarah, and Lot out of Egypt, they were blessed. They had a lot of possessions. They had a lot of cattle and herds. And once they began to settle into the land that God gave Abraham, there was conflict between Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. There was just so many animals and not enough space. They had to spread out. They had to separate. Abraham, being the older of the two and being the uncle and not the nephew, could have said, all right, Lot, you go over there and I got this. That's not what he did. Abraham said to Lot, we shouldn't feud. Our herdsmen shouldn't feud. There's plenty of land in front of us. You pick whatever you want. You take it, and I'll go the other direction. And the Bible says that um, Lot looked out at the luscious plain, and he ultimately pitched his tent towards Sodom. As in Sodom and Gomorrah, that evil, wicked city that God destroyed with sulfur and fire from heaven, that was the trajectory of Lot's life. He was living by sight and not by faith. 
Well, ultimately, Lot says, I'm going over here. It looks good. That's what I want. Abraham stayed where he was. And when Lot left, God spoke to Abraham and said, Look, in every direction, Abraham, everything you see, I'm giving you. Okay? That's the story that I'm talking about. Abraham followed God's wisdom, and it brought peace. Lot followed the world's wisdom, and it brought trouble. And that's the difference, really, between the kinds of wisdom that are out there today. You know, you and I, when we try to solve a problem, we can either go to the Lord, we can pray, we can seek His will through His Word, we can go to mature Christian, uh, Christians that we respect, their walk with God and get godly counsel, and that can lead us in a peaceful direction and a peaceful path. Or we can turn to the world. We can Google it. We can ask people uh, what they think and we can take what they say at face value and we can follow what sounds like good advice, the ways of the world, and we can take matters into our own hands and that leads down a completely different path. And so when it comes to you and I, if we're going to walk in wisdom, what I want to say is we have to recognize the difference between true wisdom and false wisdom. We have to understand that God's wisdom is rooted in His ways. The only way you're going to get God's results is to trust Him, follow Him, and do what He wants you to do. And when you do it His way, you'll get His results. And that leads to noticing how God works, number three, when we trust Him for wisdom. When we trust God for wisdom, He, he gives it to us and He works in us and He works through us and it produces the fruit of righteousness where we're right with God and we're right with people and that fruit is sown in peace. And guess what? It produces more peace. Because when people see the fruit in your life, they go, I didn't know you could do that. I want to do that. I want to do things God's way. And when we do that, that's what it means to sow the fruit. And it, it cultivates more of that kind of fruit of righteousness and peace. Well, with all that said, I want to share one more thing before we wrap it up today. And that is this. I hope you realize that in all this that I've shared today, true wisdom comes from God. You can't, you can't separate God's wisdom from His ways. And when you begin to do God's will and God's work, God's way, then He does what only He can do. And everybody sees, look what God did. And so there's one more verse I want to read that really sums it all up. And it goes back, ironically, to 1 Corinthians this church that Paul was talking to that had a lot of problems, um, he told them at the very beginning of his first letter in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, he told them who wisdom is and where it comes from. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30, it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus. He's referring to the Father. It's from God the Father that you're in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us. Our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. 
in order that, as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And what is he saying there? It's not because of me that I'm saved. It's because of what God did for me that I'm saved. God loved me, and he sent his son to die on that cross for me, and he did for you, and you, and you, and you. Okay? He did that for us. So it's because of God that I'm in Christ. And now that I'm in Christ, Christ is the wisdom from God that I need. If I want to be justified before God and declared not guilty and receive mercy and grace and forgiveness, not just now but for all eternity, Christ is my wisdom. He shows me how God did that. If I want to live a sanctified life, which is a, a big you know, word that just means to make holy. If I want to live a sanctified, holy life in this fallen world, and that's hard. How do you do that? What does that look like in everyday life decisions and so on and so forth? I have Christ, and He's my wisdom from God. And He shows me how to do that as I trust and follow Him step by step, day by day. I look forward to, to the day of redemption. That's the third part there. When, when I experience the fullness of my salvation, that my body is redeemed. And, uh, and uh, I have the Holy Spirit in me now as a down payment of what Christ has done. But one of these days when He appears and we will be like Him and we will have that new glorified body that will never decay, never experience disease, no more tears, no more sin, no more sorrow, no more shame. Amen. I don't, how, I don't know how that works. I just know that's the reality of our future as a child of God. But I have Jesus, who is our wisdom from God. And He makes that possible. Do you understand? So it's because of God that I'm in Christ. And Christ has become my wisdom. Because through Christ, I now have the wisdom to be justified in Him. To be sanctified in Him. To be, to be redeemed in Him. And it's all because of Him. And so if you have Christ, you have all you need. He is the wisdom from God. You don't have to Google it. You don't have to read 10 books and get edumacated, okay? What you have to do is you have to make sure you have Christ in your life. And He is the wisdom from God. And that's where I want to close this message today because I want to encourage you and I want to ask you, do you have Jesus Christ in your life? Paul told the same church in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, to examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. And it's very easy. You can, you can do this at home. <laughs> How do you know whether or not you're saved? How do you know whether or not your faith is real? It's very simple. Is Christ in you? Is Christ in you? Because if Christ is in you, then you're in Him. When Christ is in me, then I am in Him. And now I have all I need. He is my wisdom from God. He is why I'm justified from all my sin. He is why I'm sanctified and can live a holy life. He is why I will be redeemed and, and be with Him forever in glory. 
It's all because of Him. Are you in Christ? Is Christ in you? You got to get that right. If that's not right, nothing else ever will be right. But if Christ is in you, then you're in Him. And that's all you need. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.